John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, we're waiting for Sean Salisbury to... Uh, well, we're having phone problems. It's not Sean. Uh, we're having some difficulties with the phone, so we're waiting for him to uh, give us a call and uh, talk about uh, what's going to be interesting as far as this. But again, the update from Tennessee is that uh, you know they're not uh, doing anything in the building for the Titans because of nine positive tests over the course of the last three days. And uh, there's a good chance that they may have to uh, postpone a game that's coming up between uh, Pittsburgh and Tennessee. So we'll see where that goes. And, of course, other news to keep on top of. Demarius Randall is coming in because, you know, the Seahawks could have as many as three uh, safeties down in the last two weeks with Marquise Blair going on injured reserve with the ACL injury. Jamal uh, Adams probably missing the game coming up against Miami because of a groin injury. And then, uh, you know, we still don't know about the back of Lano, Lano Hill. So uh, they may have to get Randall in there. And we're still waiting to confirm whether uh, Damian Snacks Harrison is coming in. Because, again, he, he's certainly one of the candidates right now to uh, be, you know, an upgrade on the defensive line. He's committed to wanting to. Uh, at least make this the first visit and if it's going to be happening it was either going to start yesterday or today because he would take the COVID's test and everything else so stay tuned on that front uh, uh as far as other news uh you know Brett Rippon is going to get the starting job for the Denver Broncos. Go figure that one. Uh, Rippon, of course, replacing Jeff Driscoll. And now you have 11 young quarterbacks that are, you know, three years or less experience starting in the AFC. Denver, of course, having the Thursday night game coming up against the New York Jets. And they lose their right tackle, Elijah Wilkinson. They've got about 15 guys on injured reserve, including about five starters. And that also, with, he's not on injured reserve, but Drew Locke has that shoulder injury, a rotator cuff, and so he's going to be out a certain period of time. So uh, stay tuned on that front. But yeah, bad news, I guess you can say, in the sense that uh, you know more injuries continue to happen in the National Football League. So as we await for Sean Salisbury to give us a holler here, uh, I don't know, DJ, what's, what's your thoughts as far as, uh, you know, Damon Snacks Harrison, you know, getting at least an insurance type safety in Demarius Randall. Uh, you know, Demarius Randall, that one's interesting because I think well, we, hear yeah, Sean. I think we got Sean here. Yeah, so it's like we got Sean here in a second. But yeah, I think it's gonna be an interesting one and uh yeah, one to go. And of course, uh we'll be joined here in a second by Sean Salisbury, uh, who uh, is watching a bad Houston Texans team because he's down there in Houston. Hey Sean, how are you? Thanks for calling. I'm doing good. No problem. How you doing, buddy? Good. We haven't we haven't we're having phone problems, so it's kind of kind of strange going in that direction. But uh, brief one before because again, I know everybody here in Seattle is all concerned about the defense. Will you tell everybody that uh, to keep track of the trends because right now, scoring uh, yards, everything is the highest we've seen in NFL history for three weeks. You know. Uh, 51 points a game, which is even higher than last week uh, per game per team, and then of course 25 uh, uh, per team, and then of course you also have, uh, you know, there was what 15 teams that scored 30 points or more in uh, week three. It's an offensive league right now. Oh, not only that, John, it's offense, and it's we got great quarterbacks in the league right now, especially at the top. And the truth of the matter is. Did I, I think a lot of us thought this, the teams would suffer offensively early because of the off season, but but it's it's the opposite. The tackling, the ability to coverage and get lined up properly, 
if you think the Seahawks are concerned, imagine being the Houston Texans defense. Every time they blink, they're giving up 34 points or 30 points. So um, I wouldn't concern myself because here's the deal. You face the quarterback who threw, what, 50-plus times and threw for almost 500 yards, and I understand it. But when you throw that many times, you're going to get some big plays. That won't be the norm. The Seahawks are going to be fine. The key is you still came out of it with a win, and the truth is while defense used to be you had to play great defense to win championships, you have to play great offense and have a decent defense. And Prescott's not exactly chopped liver. He's a good football player. So I I would think that they're going to be okay, and this is the way it works. There's a lot of teams giving up points on some really good defenses across the league, and it's early. I would be more concerned if my offense was floundering and not protecting and had no idea because then the timing becomes a problem. They'll learn to tackle. Those scores will go down a little bit, but get used to it. We're more of an offensive league now than we've ever been, and it's only going to be like this because every rule they'll continue to make will be for offenses to score. Be grateful you've got the best quarterback in the league, at least the best MVP candidate in the league right now. Well, let's get into four downs. All right, gentlemen, first down here. The Bills, Steelers, Titans, Chiefs, Packers, Bears, and Seahawks are all 3-0. and Which team do you believe in the most? Oh, to me, it's in the, in the NFC, it's a battle. I'd still take I, – I, I probably still trust Seattle a little more than Green Bay. I think those are the two best teams in the NFC, and it just comes down to what day that quarterback plays better because both of them – if you're voting for your MVP, and I don't know if that's a question later on, but it, it, it's Wilson, it's Rodgers, and then it's Josh Allen with the guys like Mahomes not far behind, So especially when he played last night. But, yeah, I, 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 to, to me it's Seattle because of Russ and Aaron Rodgers, Packers. But in the AFC, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. And then there's a distance. Kansas City's better than, uh, than, than Buffalo. Kansas City's better than Pittsburgh. The Kansas City Chiefs right now are the best team in the league, and I contend – if everybody plays their best, the Chiefs are a touchdown better than anybody. If the Chiefs play 90% and everybody plays 100%, it's a great team. The Baltimores, you saw last night, the Seattles, the Green Bays. I still think the Chiefs can play with them. The Chiefs are football's best team. Yeah, I agree. I had to go my AP vote, and I voted Kansas City number one uh, and put uh, Seattle number two, Baltimore number three, Green Bay number four. Because, uh, again, you can see there's one flaw in Baltimore. If they play from behind, they are a little bit in trouble, particularly when they're going against Patrick Mahomes. All right, second down here. Speaking of the Bills, are Josh Allen and the Bills for real? Yes. Now, I know the returns. The reason why they're for real is not only are they well coached, but their defense is solid. They upgrade. They did what they needed to do this offseason to upgrade the people around Josh Allen. And he, instead of believing what everybody told him when he was coming out of school, you're not accurate. Oh, what are we doing? He has worked on his game, not only in the offseason with the Jordan Palmers and, and during the season and Brian Dables putting him in position. Hell, going back to the playoffs last year, if Brian Dable sticks to their game plan in the second half like they did in the first, Buffalo wins that playoff game. So I love Josh Allen's progress. He is football's most improved player right now and is in the top three for the MVP award, top five for sure. The impact he's making, he's got weapons now. He's not trying to make every throw, and every throw is not a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, but he's changing it up and layering the football. Yeah, they're for real. And the New England Patriots are going to give them all they can handle. But the way Allen's playing, and this confidence continues to rise, they're a dangerous team in the playoffs because 
people are going to take them for granted. They just are. And as long as they don't beat themselves, they have big playability. I do believe they're for real and a dangerous football team. Yeah, I agree. They're definitely for real because Josh Allen in his uh, first three years was a 19.2 point a game quarterback. Now he's getting close to 30 points a game. And I know he inflates his stats maybe a little bit playing the Jets in Miami. But the Rams had played well in the first two games. And, uh, you know, he puts up all those points on them to a point where the Rams had to scramble to come back from a 28-3 to deficit. And so I give it to Josh Allen right now, I believe. Third down here. Is the Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson matchup becoming the next Peyton Manning and Tom Brady rivalry? It is. When it, now, I don't know if you're going to get the same amount of Super Bowls um, and all that, but we're building it up hype-wise and matchup-wise. We have to see it every year, absolutely. I'm talking about in the regular season and for some, hopefully, in the playoffs. It is. And remember, it's semi-familiar to us because Tom Brady – beat Peyton Manning early. I mean, Brady had had that over him. And Peyton was always in that chase mode. They both got Super Bowls. They both put up huge numbers. Yes, I think so. Now, uh, Patrick's had a head start. Uh, Lamar's 0-3 against him. So that'll continue to drive him. And he's got to play better against him. But Lamar Jackson's a phenomenal talent and a phenomenal player and becoming a phenomenal quarterback. The two MVPs, yes. And, the, and TV networks and media are going to build it into that. Now, if they can sustain it for that long, competition for that long, with both good playoff teams every year, yes, I always thought it was going to be Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck. But these two now obviously being in the same conference with uh, with Pat and, and Lamar Jackson, yes, that's the next, at least it appears, that they're going to try to make that happen for us every year so we get to see that matchup. Yeah, I agree. And this is, I think now you can see the most cherished uh, item if you're one of the networks. I mean, ESPN was able to get it for the Monday night game. And I always remember, and of course we'll see what it happens next year, is that when you have Peyton Manning go against Tom Brady, they would do it right around Thanksgiving, you know, right when baseball was over and you get even higher ratings. We'll see if it falls into that pattern. But there's no doubt that's the best quarterback matchup for TV you can have. Is the seat getting hotter for Carson Wentz right now, or should he still continue to be the starter for the rest of 2020? Well, he's going to start. First of all, it wouldn't go well for Philadelphia. They paid him all that. Then you would be admitting, well, we let Foles go, uh, and we decided to draft Jalen Hurts. So I'm telling you, the one thing I know about this kid, he wins. But he didn't have an offseason. He's, he's still learning to put him in, and then all of a sudden, if he has one good game, even if it's just one, now you're going to open up. Now don't worry about Carson Wentz's feelings, just the city and what goes along with it all. Oh, because even with Carson Wentz as good as he's been the first three or four years of his career, when Foles played in the postseason won the Super Bowl, there are people there that wanted to run Wentz out and keep Nick Foles. So Foles had another good game as a backup. So no, and Doug Peterson has squelched that now. You go one and seven and continue to play like this, uh, Doug Peterson, you may see the kid get a shot because He's been known to take somebody's glove off the mound, and he also knows what it's like to lose his job, says Jalen Hurts. But Wentz has just got to get it back. Now, John, he's also feeling pressure to make every play. And quite frankly, their offensive line's not very good. Carson Wentz will be the starter. Now, I don't know this if it continues. They may look around this offseason, but Carson Wentz has star caliber ability. The problem is we can't keep saying that. He's got to stay on the field, and when he's on the field, he's got to elevate the players around him. And so far this year, 
he's missing some easy plays that he'd normally make. Yeah. There is talk, but he's not going to lose his job. No, I agree. I mean, he's pressing. There's no doubt about it. But then when you're down four starting offensive linemen with injuries on injured reserve, uh, the receiving core is all beat up. You're not getting anything out of the running game. And, of course, he, he got sacked eight times in the first weekend. I, I think he's probably getting a little bit of happy feet, too. I still stand by him. But yep. one of the things I know, I had to do some ratings for the Washington Post today. And what I did is that because uh, I had Wentz over Jared Goff, uh, in that the second best quarterback in that year's draft, uh, but now I had to drop him down below because Goff is you know beat him a week ago and is you know he's on a you know getting two touchdowns a game and Wentz is just struggling. His numbers are terrible, but I, I still believe in Wentz. There's no need to bench him, but uh, right now he needs more help and they didn't get him more help. But it's always helpful when we have you on with Sean Salisbury, of course, uh, doing four downs. And I'm looking forward to talking to you on Friday. John, thank you very much, brother. Always appreciate you. Okay, thank you. Hey, you look at the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to uh, get the uh, chance to get in some grades with the report card. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. In the report card, we get out every day. We look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories. We take the anecdotes. We take social media comments and the voices and attach a grade to it. And giving us the report card is DJ Wilder. So, DJ, what do we have? Well, first up, John, this is kind of a story that uh, started on Sunday between the Eagles and the Bengals. And the Eagles and the Bengals ended up tying 23-23. to And there's a controversial decision by Doug Peterson to punt with a minute left on uh, on a fourth down. And instead of trying to go for the win, they instead decided to punt on fourth down here. And I have two pieces of audio here from Doug Peterson. This is him on first on Sunday talking about the decision. Yeah, the decision there... Um... You know, one of two things. You can either uh, attempt it on fourth down and try to go for We We tried to go for the field goal, the game winner. That was that was the thing. We were going to go for the game winner uh, with the kick. Felt comfortable with Jake, had the wind. Uh, the false start back to sub. So we, we just said, hey, let's just let's just uh, uh, punt the football here. We didn't want to give him the ball, you know, towards midfield um, or even a chance to go for it on fourth down and long. Um incomplete pass something like that they get the ball short field they could they could kick a field goal and, and win the game so um just made that decision hopefully something you know positive might have might have come out of the, the punt and then this was him yesterday after reviewing the tape you know either way you slice it uh my decision um looking back i probably would have would elected to maybe maybe go for it in that situation and, and try you know try a ball down the field John, what grade do you give Doug Peterson's coaching decision here that resulted in a tie for the Eagles? Well, I mean, I give the, the decision an F, but I give his response and being able to fess up and look at the tape and then come back and say, I made a mistake. So I'm going to give him a B overall. But, of course, he gets the bad grade. They're 0-2-1. This is a Bengal team that you know can't uh, pass block, is not good on defense. And to come out with a tie, particularly when you were at home, all I know is that uh, you know some of those cardboard uh, fans that are in the stands, they're going to continue to boo both on Carson Wentz and also certainly on the uh, co- head coach Doug Peterson. Yeah, I have to give the decision. It, it's this is so tough. I have to give a decision a D because I can I can kind of understand the argument for why people would hate the call, but I also understand from Doug Peterson's perspective in the moment. Where, so you were going to kick a fifty-eight yard field goal. I think I think Elliott's 
career-long field goal is 61 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the false start or delay of game, whatever the penalty was, it turned it into a 64-yarder. And I I get it, and like you, I just I think you got it. Just go for it because even then, Joe Burrow, less than a minute to go rookie quarterback with a line that can't block. Can he really get into field goal range? So I don't know. It's kind of a weird, weird decision, but whatever. But yeah, I have to give him a B for his response. At least he's a mature enough to fess up and just be like, okay, you know what? I made a mistake. We probably should have gone for it. There wasn't that much risk we should have gone for. It. So I have to give Doug Peterson a B on that, but a D on his decision. Yeah, no doubt. It's a matter of, I mean, again, <clears throat> that's a winnable game and they've now lost a winnable game. And right now they're, they're kind of trending like the Minnesota Vikings as uh, two playoff teams that won't make the playoffs. I know I, I know I asked in four downs um, last segment that if, is Carson Wentz on the hot seat. Do you think Doug Peterson's on the hot seat? No. Not at all. I mean, if if he is, it's wrong. I mean, uh, you know, because is it his fault that, uh, you know, they're down four starting offensive linemen to injured reserve? Is it his fault that uh, the receiving core is weak? They got an older team that's going to have to break up at the end of the year because they're $71 million over the cap. No, no no firing of Doug Peters and he's too good. And he's from Ferndale. So, oh, yeah, of course. Ferndale, Washington. I mean, come on. Um, I I agree with that. And uh, I just I just fear because coaches get blamed for everything which kind of leads into this next story here john doc rivers very good basketball coach he's a championship basketball coach he's been to uh two nba finals both with uh the boston celtics in the early in the late 2000s but then in the 2010s he's been with the clippers where his lowest win total with them was 42 where they went 42 and 40 that was his worst record with the Clippers. The, Cl- the Clippers franchise that wasn't a great franchise, especially when Donald Sterling was owning them before um, Steve Ballmer came over and really helped him turn the franchise around. Well, the Clippers decided to let go of Doc Rivers, even though they did go 49-23 and 23 in a shortened season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was coming off of them blowing a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, which is the second time that Doc, uh, Doc Rivers' team has done that. And... Uh, John, I just want to get your grade on the Clippers' decision here to let go of like a really good coach. He's never had a losing record with a historically losing franchise. And with a great team, a team that didn't really play a lot together, uh, what grade do you give the Clippers here for firing Doc Rivers? I give him an, an F. I mean, I know that uh, what in his career as a head coach, he's blown three one leads three different times. But again, this is a Clipper team <clears throat> that's just trying to get to the top, and you know, was close enough that it was considered to be the second best team in the West. To lose like that is tough. It's a tough year overall. I think it's a big mistake. I like Doc Rivers. I hope he gets four job offers right now so he can pick and choose and go to the right team because that was wrong by the Clippers. I agree. I got to give him an F as well, especially because in his first season, the 2013-2014 season, that's when the Donald Sterling stuff came out. And he really showed how much of a leader, how much of an advocate, how much of an important voice he is in the NBA culture when it comes to doing uh, dealing with racial issues um, and issues of just racism. And he he really showed how important he is to all the players, especially the Clippers themselves. And... Uh, I, I can't really get behind a decision by a Clippers organization that knows that how important he was to that team and to the organization of just getting through all those times of just the horrible years that Donald Sterling owned this team, that they would be okay with firing him just because, oh, well, you know, the team underachieved. But, it's again, it's always the coach's fault. That's what we see in the NFL. It's what we mm-hmm. see in baseball. It's what we see in basketball. So I got... I got to give Doc uh, the Clippers an F here for Doc uh, firing Doc Rivers. I hope he finds a job soon. It sounds like Philadelphia is probably the leading candidate. 
So I hope uh, I hope he finds a job here soon. I hope so too, because he's he's really a good coach and a good person. All those different things. Definitely. All right. So last story here, John. Patrick Mahomes, after scoring a touchdown, I think it was in the third or fourth quarter, we were seeing him count on his hand to the number four, and his fiance Brittany Matthews tweeted out yesterday during the game, no, let them keep ranking him number four in the league. We love it. So it seems like Patrick Mahomes has taken his number four rank in the NFL top 100 personally with, of course, Lamar Jackson being number one. What grade do you give Patrick Mahomes' response to the um, – Kind of controversial ranking um, back in the off season. Yeah, I'll give him an A minus because again, I think he's responding to critics, and there should be no criticism of Patrick Mahomes. You're talking about a quarterback who's doing impossible things. I mean, six consecutive games before last night, where he had this team come back from a double digit deficit. You know, he puts he he just goes with breeze against one of the best defenses in the National Football League, and you know he seems to be expressive in you know one of his hand signals. I I got to give him an A minus. Yeah, I got to give him an A here, John. I thought it was an absolute just a debacle that <laughs> he was yeah. only ranked fourth. At, at the very least, he should be ranked second. Uh, and nothing against Lamar Jackson. I think he's a very exciting player. He's a very good player. But just coming off just one, his first full season, I get he wins an MVP. But him being number one, especially over Patrick Mahomes. And then Aaron Donald just kind of getting robbed, too. He wasn't ranked as high as he should have been, too. I really like... That Patrick Mahomes, it really seemed like yesterday. We don't really see him celebrating a whole lot, getting that emotional, but he's usually a cool, a cool and calm and collected guy. But yesterday, I think he definitely had this game circled on his calendar. I think he took this personally and wanted to really send a statement, not just about himself, but about the Chiefs themselves to the NFL. So I have to give him an A. Yeah, I do too. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we are going to get on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. You can text us at 710-710. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Time to go on the busy hard seltzer text line at 710-710. And so, DJ, what do we have? All right. First up here from the 253. What do the Seahawks need to do to prevent a trap game this Sunday against Miami? Uh, Really just try to stay as healthy as they can because I think that's my big concern. This could be a trap game, particularly with all the injuries, all the issues right now. I mean, you know, this is a winnable game. Hey, we saw San Francisco take care of two winnable games like that. But I think the biggest thing is concentrate, you know, get maybe more rest and just try to get through this and then come back and try to win that Sunday night game against Minnesota 5-0. and And of course, everybody gets that bye week off. From the 509, tight end Colby Parkinson. Do we expect to see him on the field sometime this season? I, I don't know. I, I tend to doubt. I mean, it, an injury would open things up, but, I mean, this team's carrying enough tight ends right now, and so I don't necessarily think that they need to do that. I mean, you know, keeping him on scholarship, you know, again, it's the idea. It's like, okay, they're, they're going for a Super Bowl. It'd be nice to be able to get him out there, but I think the only way he's on the field is going to be if there's an injury. From the 253, are we going to see John, John or Sua anytime soon? Uh, right now, I'd say no. I mean, it seems that uh, you know, they're very content with Freddie Swain. You know, there's no openings. I know when DJ Moore ended up having to go under the tent, then you're thinking, whoop, here comes Sua. But uh, no, I'd say right now they're just going to keep him on the practice squad. 
From the 425, Professor, do you think Miles Gaskin will give the Seahawks trouble on Sunday? Uh, not really, because, I mean, say what you want. I mean, you know, Gaskin's got a poor offensive line. They're thinking about making some changes on the offensive line. It's one of the youngest in football. And, you know, Seattle, say what you want. I know he gives up way too many yards in the past, but it's one of the top two or three run defense teams in football. Yeah, only like 66 yards per game so yeah, far. Yeah. From the 253, speaking of that run defense, do you think the Seahawks will end up signing Snacks Harrison? I hope, I think so, yeah, and I hope so because I think he's needed. I think he'd be a good choice. So I would say yes. Uh, now the question is, did he make it into town or not? I mean, he was supposed to be here. We know that Demarius Randall is uh, here and you know, may, they might sign him. But, uh, yeah, you would think that there's a good chance that could happen. From the 253, John, are you sold on Freddie Swain being a regular contributor for the Seahawks? So far, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, when you watch him, he kind of runs a lot. His route's kind of like Tyler Lockett. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> basically, as good as John Ursua is, and I think John Ursua is a great slot receiver, I mean, you know, Swain beat him out. So I'd say yes. From the 208, What's the number to sign Clay Matthews right now? Mm, it had been $5 million from what I had heard. I don't know if he's brought the number down or not. But what's interesting is that you know uh, Ziggy Ansa was not real. Uh, he, wa- he wanted decent money. He wanted like 3 or $4 million. And, of course, he ended up just signing for $1.45 million. So uh, at some point, that number may be good enough that Clay comes here and signs. But I think they need him. From the 253, what's the outlook for Quentin Dunbar playing this week? Mm, too early to say. I mean, it uh, depends on where the swelling of that knee is. I mean, at this stage, you have to say he's questionable. Uh, you, uh, Pete is not overly concerned about most of those guys, so he's going to be on a day-by-day basis. Probably he's not going to practice on Wednesday, maybe not Thursday, but he does have a chance to play. From the 253, when will Tua Tagovailoa make his NFL debut? Mm, my guess is going to be probably late October, maybe November. I mean, you know, it depends on where the season goes because the one thing that you don't want to do is that, you know, he's of the three quarterbacks taken uh, up re- reasonably high. You know, Justin Herbert, does, even though they're off to a bad start, you know, they, he's got more talent around him. And, of course, he w- didn't want to start him immediately. He had to go in because of the injury to Tyrod Taylor. But, uh, you know, Justin Herbert's there. And, of course, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's just getting pounded because of bad offensive line. He's been sacked 14 times. You don't want to have Tua come in there and fail. So I'd say it's probably November. From the 2-5-3, do the Seahawks need Demarius Randall or Snacks Harrison more? Mm, right now they need both because you know if you're going to be down three safeties and you watched that last year with three running backs down the stretch at the last part of the season you know they just need need him and of course I mean it's not going to be a guaranteed contract or anything else but they, they could use him because he's experienced and really you know, if Leno Hill can't go then you want somebody with experience as opposed to Ryan Neal even though Ryan Neal made a great play. From the 253, as far as positive COVID-19 tests go, what is the process for canceling games in the NFL like we have been seeing? Is it like how we've been seeing in baseball? No. I mean, what they what they do is that they'll juggle some things around. Like, for example, ball, uh, see, uh, Pittsburgh and Tennessee, their bye weeks are weeks 7 and 8. So what they'll probably do is move either the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game and move that to week 8 and let uh, Tennessee play then. So it's, it's kind of a juggling back and forth. In fact, if they do that, then the Steelers would have three consecutive road games. 
From the 509, John, do you see Seattle more as a 12-13 to 13 win team or a 10-11 win team with the tough division that they're in? Yeah, I've, I've seen them more as an 11-win team, but if they can squeeze out uh, two more wins and get to the bye at 5-0, and oh, I mean, their schedule is the ninth easiest down the stretch. And so even if they go 3-3 uh, three and three in the division, they can still win 12 games. That Buffalo road game is going to be tough, but remember, they play the, Gi- the Giants, the Jets, they play a lot of teams. Philadelphia, so they they have a decent chance to uh, maybe win twelve. But of course, it comes down to these next two and being five and zero at the bye week. Yeah, that stretch. I'm looking at the schedule to my right right now. That stretch from November 30 to December 20th at Philly, home against the Giants, home against the Jets, and then at Washington. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a juicy stretch right there, John. Um, from the two five three, John, what do you think of all? Uh, what did you think of Alton Robinson's debut? Sensational. He really looked good. He got pressure on the quarterback. He got a sack. He looked natural at the Leo position. And again, scouting reports on him were better than a fifth rounder. And so I think they got a steal in Alton. He looks good. From the two oh six. Will Snacks Harrison help out our pass rush, or is he more for run defense? More for run defense. Uh, first uh, first and second down type players. So he would help out the run defense. Because really, when you think about it, and I know that uh, I think it was a K.J. Wright or Robbie Wagner brought this out the other day when he says that uh, you know Jer- Jaron Reed and Puna Ford have to play a lot, particularly Jaron Reed. And if you're going to have him out there 60 plays a game, that's going to be too much. So they definitely can use and need a Damon Harrison. From the two five three, I like this question a little bit. Demarius Randall, why not let bygones be bygones, John, and sign the much better player in Earl Thomas? Uh, he's down in Houston today, so he yep. may sign with the Houston Texans. And of course, that that, that relationship is done. No. How is that going to even help Houston? They're zero and three. How is that even going to help? And again, them? think about this. Okay, he's going to Houston, uh, you know, because they're zero and three. You're right, but they lose AJ Moore. They're starting free safety, and so uh, there's an opening here. Do you think that uh, you know you're going to have you know, an angry uh, Thomas, Earl Thomas, come in and accept being a backup to Jamal Adams and uh, to uh, Quandre Diggs? There's no way. From the four two five, did Trey Flowers lose his starting job this weekend when Dunbar gets back? Well, he wasn't a starter, so I guess you could say yes. I mean, he's, uh, the starter was Quentin Dunbar, and Dunbar started the season in the first week. He he was there, so no. I mean, Trey Flowers has lost his starting job. He he'll be able to stay as a starter as long as Dunbar is not playing. But Dunbar right now is the other cornerback across the way from uh, Shaquille Griffin. From the four two five, do you see Justin Jefferson becoming wide receiver one in Minnesota? I can see it. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit uh, too early to say it, but of course the way they used him the other day with 175 yards, yeah, I can see it. I mean, he seems like the good replacement for uh, you know Shel- uh, Stephon Diggs. Adam Thielen's still their main receiver, but he's still more of a smaller slot guy. But I could see him being a QB, a wide receiver one. On paper, that offense should be a lot oh. better, and if Je- Justin Jefferson can keep it up, I mean, oof. Yeah, but I mean, Kurt, uh, Kirk Cousins holding the ball too much. He's, and he's right. taking sacks. The offensive line's not very good. They're a mess. From the 2-5-3, did the Seahawks cornerbacks' value drop over the last three weeks, or are they still going to be able to command elite money in free agency? No, they'll be fine. I mean, again, it's like, uh, you know, look at the league. I mean, we talked about it earlier in the sense that you had 15 teams score 30 points. Okay, are they, uh, you know, it, it, it's, the league is right now the highest scoring, the highest passing numbers, highest touchdowns on offense. I mean, that's just the way the league is. 
We're going to have to make a decision between Dunbar and Griffin. Where, uh, where do you think the Seahawks Griffin. are going to swing right now? Griffin. You know, one one of the only knocks on uh, Quentin uh, Dunbar is that he's had an injury history. And so what happened so far, again, not out of his fault, but again, he's got a knee injury. You know, uh, Griffin has been healthy. He's getting better. He finally got an interception. So, no, I think they go with Griffin, pay him $14 million a year. From the 360, what is going on with Daryl Taylor, and when could when is the earliest we could see him? The earliest you can see him is week eight, but I don't think you'll see him week eight. He's still slow in coming back uh, from the stress fracture that he had the surgery back in January. So it's going to be sometime in midseason or later. And then last question here from the 425, who wins between Atlanta or Green Bay this Monday? Uh, Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay scoring 40 points a game. Uh, Falcons either are trailing big. They're giving over 30 points a game. I think it, uh, this this could be pretty one-sided. Yeah, on paper, that looks like a great matchup, but Atlanta, is, of course, keeps finding ways to lose. Yeah, and exactly. uh, that's all the time we got for text. Okay, and of course, uh, that was on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. So coming back, we've got our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And it's time for our Daily Dose of the Garage with Dave Grosby. Lots to talk about. Uh, first off, how did you try to juggle it uh, last night? Did you watch the Kansas City-Baltimore game or the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup? I juggled, John, but uh, I watched more of the Kansas City-Baltimore game. Okay, so your thoughts on the matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson? Uh, it's. I, I guess the, the, the takeaway is it's um, Jackson kind of put it right. Boy, the, the Chiefs have got the upper hand in this particular rivalry at this particular point. Uh, uh, it was uh, an impressive performance uh, top to bottom by Kansas City. You know, Baltimore, I think, you know, they know that they're the team to beat, obviously. The, the Chiefs winning the championship last year. And uh, they're they're not there yet. I mean, just as uh, simple as that. But certainly a preview of what figures to be uh, two of the top quarterbacks going at it many, many more times. Doesn't matter if they're not in the same division. You can envision a lot of playoff matchups between these two guys. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Do you think this will become like the uh, Tom Brady-Peyton Manning battle that you saw every I, year? Well, I don't think it's fair to, to, to compare them to that yet. I mean, that, that was that was pretty epic uh, when you when you think about it, and it lasted a long, long time. But, you know, based on the beginning, you know, you got two MVPs that are less than 25 years old. Uh, if they can stay healthy and with their respective teams, there's no reason why it can't be. But, um, you know, they've got to stay healthy, and that's that's a lot easier said than done in this league. And if they do, uh, it will be like that, but um, we'll see if they do. Yeah, no doubt that's going to be the challenge to see uh, where it's going to go. Thoughts on the Tampa Bay Lightning and what they were able to do? Well, I mean, this is an organization that was uh, partially built by our friend Todd Lewicki, who's here with the here with the Kraken, and uh, they put together a very good, very good organization there, and it was uh, it was an impressive performance, a little bit of an anticlimactic uh, Stanley Cup final. But you know, the the bottom line for the NHL is, uh, unlike every other sport so far, they went through the entire period completely clean. They had no no tests of any no uh, issues with testing of any kind. I don't know how much of that had to do with the fact they were in Canada or not, but uh, all their protocols worked, and and the Stanley Cup playoffs came out came off just perfectly, which is um, which is a credit to them. So. Uh, Tampa, they're a good club, good, good, good team. They, they're going to be, they're going to be around for a while. They got their star player, Stamkos, back, uh, just in the nick of time. And, and Dallas was kind of a surprise to get there. Uh, we saw in, uh, in, in here for when the Kraken start up next year. Um, the Vancouver Canucks had, had a nice run as a very young team. They're going to be a big factor and that figures to be a nice rivalry right away. New York Islanders also lost in the semifinals. 
another good young team. So for, for hockey, it was a very positive postseason, and in Tampa, a very deserving champion. Yeah, no doubt, and it was uh, fun to watch. And it's it like... could be quite a start for Tampa when you think about it, John, because the baseball playoffs are starting today, and the Rays have the best record in the American League, are favored by a lot to get to the World Series. And then Tom Brady's beginning to look like his old self with the, with the uh, Buccaneers, so this might be the start of... Uh, Quite a six-month run for Tampa. Yeah, it would be pretty good. What uh, What do you think that uh, Todd Lywicki brings to when he comes back here? I mean, he built the uh, Lightning to a championship team. He was involved in getting the 12s and everything going for Seattle. I mean, how long do you think it could take for this team to get really good? We saw Vegas in the first year do well. Could they do the same thing? Sure they could. I don't know if they can do that well. I, I, I know that, look, the attitude that that the NHL has is pretty enlightened about expansion teams. They want them to be good right away, and it makes sense for them to be good right away. Um, you take advantage of your – well, not take advantage of. You take take advantage of the fact that you have an excited fan base. I mean, why necessarily throw out a team that's got no chance to win? So I'm not sure if the rules are exactly the same as they were in terms of drafting players and protecting players as they were for Vegas. I think that they are. If they are, then uh, Todd Lewicki brings them – an extremely experienced guy. He's not the he's not the you know the hockey guy so much as, as as everything else. But he knows he knows the players. He knows the knows the right talent to get. I mean, he, he was instrumental, of course, in Pete Carroll coming here too. So uh, you know, you're talking about a guy who's been successful everywhere he's been, a winner, and uh, figures to infuse. He reminds me a lot of Gary Wright. You know, just just a, a kind of guy who's got tremendous competence, incredibly good at what he does. And um, the Kraken, I think, are in very good hands. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think that's going to be very well, too. Baseball playoffs are now starting. And, yeah. of course, I got first games already on. So uh, what are you looking forward to in the baseball playoffs? Uh, it's it's different. It's going to be fun. you got uh, this wild card round that you haven't had before. So you've got four games going today. And you're going to have a 16-team playoff. And we'll see if baseball sticks with that. Um, I would say that, that today the, the, the biggest matchup is the one on it um, – Four o'clock Pacific between the Yankees and the Indians, even though the White Sox and the A's and the Astros, uh, twins are on right now. And they kind of, you know, I mean, the A's, of course, and then, and the Astros in the West. But the Yankees twins for, for game one, you've got uh, Garrett Cole, who we all remember last year was, was an unstoppable force uh, on the pitching mound. They had a seven and three record for the Yanks, which is pretty good. But he's going against the Garrett Cole of last year. And that's, uh, Jason Bieber of the Indians, who was, uh, I think John eight and one. With an ERA about 1.6, uh, was a completely dominant force to, by easily the Cy Young Award winner. Uh, Cleveland's got a very good club. So uh, of all the matchups, you know, Toronto and Tampa Bay is the other one. I think the Yankees and Cleveland is is the marquee one tonight. Yeah, no doubt, and that's going to be uh, fun to watch. And uh, I don't know how much do you think the Dodgers have the significant advantage? Well, I mean, they're the best club, but but you know, baseball is baseball. You know, uh, you know, the best team doesn't always win because. You know, you've got to play a couple of series, and, and uh, you know, a hot pitcher can, can do things. You know, it's what will be different, what will be interesting to see is teams that have the advantage because they're playing every single day. They're not taking days off uh, during these first two rounds of the playoffs. They're playing every day. They're not taking a day off until they get to the World Series. So that's going to really put pressure on bullpens. It's going to be unlikely for, for uh, one starter to be, be particularly dominant uh, in a short series. So the teams with the best bullpens you would figure have the advantage, and the Dodgers were 43 and 17, and they're on pace to win 116 games. They were certainly the best regular season team. They've got plenty of competition. Atlanta's going to be a tough team to get by uh, in the National League. Uh, just off, right off the top of my head, they're going to be very tough. The Reds are good. You know, you've got some sleepers over there in the Marlins. So the Dodgers are certainly the favorite, but um, they're, they're by no means a given. And 
and it feels a little more wide open in the American League. Yeah, it really does. Uh, and going to be some fun baseball. And of course, I mean, now how do you kind of grade the way that the baseball season went? Started with a disaster with the Miami Miami Marlins having 18 players getting involved with positive tests, and you know they had to lose the first week, and yet they come back and they make the playoffs. Uh, after losing 106 games last year, which is inexplicable, um, you know, I, 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 like a lot of people, had my doubts that they were going to be able to continue the season when, when that happens with the Marlins. And I'm going to tell you that, that some stories will probably come out is that they came very close. I mean, if another team had had the same kind of outbreak that the Marlins had, it would have been very difficult, I think, uh, for them to, to have managed to finish the season. And, and it didn't happen, uh, which is huge. It didn't happen. So, um, the Marlins, you know, not only persevered, as you pointed out, they made the postseason. Uh, the positive tests, you know, went, went down for baseball. Baseball played it on the ragged edge, though. I think for a lot of people, um, it really felt like it was being very close to, to being canceled and, and they managed to get through it. Now we, we see what the other leagues can do and starting with the National Football League with the, with all the Titans uh, testing positive now. Yeah, and of course that story is that uh, you know nine members of the Titans, including Shane Bowen, who ended up on Saturday testing positive and not going to the game. He's their defensive play caller. You know they've basically shut down the facility and no together everything's going to be remote now till Saturday with the good likelihood that uh, they're probably not going to be able to play the Pittsburgh Tennessee game now. They can juggle it in a couple weeks, but uh, yeah, scary situation. And the Vikings are the team that played them last week, so I mean they're they're kind of under the same sort of protocols and. It's going to make practicing very difficult for, for both those teams this week. I don't think either one of them are in their facilities. So, you know, for the NFL, that's it's a much bigger deal, as you well know, John, to not be able to practice, you know, to, to have stuff like that happen than it is for baseball when you can just shut guys down a little bit. They can still, you know, stretch, do batting practice, things like that, and, and, and be socially distant. You can't be socially distant when you're playing football. So I'm curious to see how the NFL handles this, and, and hopefully this is the only sort of outbreak because – the NFL is, is not as, I don't believe, can be as flexible as the other sports can in terms of teams missing games. Yeah, but of course, that's the one thing. I mean, as long as there's bye weeks, there's a way to make it work. Like, I know right. that they would you know move a Baltimore-Pittsburgh game, which, of course, is going to be huge, maybe back one week, because I know Tennessee's bye week is on week seven. But, of course, that's our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. Enjoy the baseball today, and, of course, we'll talk tomorrow. Sounds good, John. Thank you. Okay, and of course, we'll be back tomorrow at 10. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.